put your back into it. Do your thing like it ain't nothing to it. Shake, she should shake that. Go, go, 50 in the house, bounce. Y'all already know what I'm about. The flow Live, here we go. All right, welcome back, welcome back. Uh, it's the Deep Cover Podcast. I'm back with Carrie, with Chris, I'm Mike. Um, we missed you guys last week. I missed you personally. Uh, I was sick, and that's why we didn't record last week. Uh, but feeling much better now. Back, hopefully, back and better than ever. And um, you know, we 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 want to we want to be there for you guys and, and 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 talk Ravens and talk football, fantasy football, talk life. Um, so here we are. So uh, before we get into this. Uh, week's episode uh, obviously we're gonna take a look back at the Chiefs game a little bit uh, look forward to the the Washington game and and do some fantasy talk um, well well uh, Carrie will help everybody win some money Carrie and Chris so but before we do that let's check in with the guys I'll start with you Carrie how you doing man I'm doing all right man uh, not as good as Marlon Humphrey but you know I'm doing, doing all right over here <laughs> Yeah, but, has, the, bag, the bag has been secured. Yeah, it has been secured. But, uh, yeah, just uh, glad to be back with you guys, man. And, uh, you know, love doing what we do. And so, you know, it's, it's dope to be able to do it again. Absolutely. How about you, Chris? How you been? I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad we're back. Um, I kind of wish we would have recorded last, se- last week and missed this week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just so we could have recorded after a win. And not after a loss, but um, it is what it is, and uh, we're here to help everybody out who's feeling down about that loss. Yeah, and maybe we're on to something there. Maybe maybe things didn't work out because we didn't record last that week. That is so true. There, so there, there might be a little something to us uh, putting these things out every week to, to help the team. You know, we want to do our part. Um, but since you mentioned the Chiefs game, good little segue there. Let's uh let's go ahead and do this part of it. A little bit of a uh, a look back, and then like you said, really more for us because I think we all try to try to think about the game this way, the team, and, and probably life really in general. You know, from more positive perspective, and um you know there are always things I think that you can take away from a loss, even one where uh, despite the score, I mean it was 34-20, it it it, it didn't feel even that close at at a lot of times, but there's still a lot of good things that you can take away. Well, man, I shouldn't say a lot of good things. There are still good things that you can take away and, and, and reasons to be optimistic about um, the team moving forward. So um, because you led us into that, Chris, let me start off with you kind of clean slate uh, for you to take it wherever you want with the chiefs game, any thoughts about specific things in the game um, and, and maybe some big picture thoughts too about, kind of how you you process that and, and and try to see this in in its in its totality right not just isolating it to that that individual game uh well i mean there's you know there's no way to beat around the bush it was a a, a curb stomping um on on both sides of the ball uh you know offense you know after that first drive uh it looked like it was going to be a long night for the chiefs defense and and um and uh, you thought the Russian attack was just going to be rolling, but uh, unfortunately, after that drive, things just it, it just didn't go as planned. And uh, you know, credit to the Chiefs' defense because after that first series, they really they really buckled down, and, and you know, those guys they they played a hell of a game, and 
uh, Steve Spagnuolo, who's there in D.C., he, you know, he called a hell of a game. And uh, he had guys all around Lamar, you know, especially on third downs where he was just, you know, bringing the damn house on Lamar and, and just making life difficult for him. So, you know, hats off to them because they, like I said, they played a hell of a game. Um, on the on the defensive side, you just saw, you know, the same thing where Andy Reid was, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy, they were just, they were in their bag that night. They would, everything they called, it just seemed like gold and it was working. And even when it didn't work, they had that wizard back there, Pat Mahomes, who was like, Look, I'm just going, I'm going to make this work. Like, you know, I don't care if there's two guys that are about to sack me. I'm going to get away from this and I'm going to you know, complete this third or 15. So they, they were just clicking on all cylinders on both sides of the ball. And, and it's hard for me to see a team who could have beat them on Monday night. And, you know, that's, and it, it, it seems like a bad thing. And, you know, it's, it's not a, a great thing to happen for, to the Ravens. But it is week three. And like I said, you have to take into account that they would just, they seem like a team that's unbeatable that night. And we all know, you know, Ravens fans especially, we all know it just takes one bad day, one bad game for you to get beat. And we saw that with the Titans last year in the playoffs. So although the Chiefs look look unbeatable Monday night, if they face off in the playoffs, it could be a completely different story. So don't just think, oh, they beat us week three. They stomped us out. You know, that that's it. It's, you know, it's, it's already been written in stone if we ever face them again in the playoffs that we don't have a chance. That That's not the case. It's week to week in the NFL. Week to week. So, you know, don't don't be too down about it because there they were important lessons learned in this game. And just with this Ravens team, we saw last year after the Cleveland Browns game how they responded for the rest of the year. And I feel like we can see something similar with this loss where they take it and they learn from it and they gain valuable experience and, and, and uh, you know, lesson from it. And they use it as fuel to, you know, propel them to going on a hopefully a, you know, similar run that they did last year. Yeah, I mean, you you have that choice after you lose a game like this, right? You can you can take the the woe is me approach and how are we ever going to break through against this team? But and when I say you you have that choice, I don't I don't really think NFL players and coaches have that choice. I don't think they look at it that way. They can't look at it that way because they've got to play another game, right? Even even though um, that game was disappointing in a lot of ways. It was a Monday night game, so now you're already on a shortened week, and you got to play Washington on Sunday. So you have to look at it from the standpoint of, hey, we we got to go back, look at this, try to try to learn from our mistakes, try to see where we can get better, and we got to really start working on on those things very quickly and making those corrections and really striving to improve in those areas because we got to play another team in a couple of days here. So. I think for fans, it's different for us. Obviously, we, we have that luxury where we can take the woe is me approach and, and the sky is falling and the season's over and all of that. You know, we, we could do all of that because we don't have to play somebody 
uh, a few days later. So we can take that approach. But uh, Carrie, before I get your thoughts on it, Chris mentioned how, you know, Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid just, you know, like a master class, you know, in terms of play calling. And then obviously, you know, Mahomes executing at a really high level. And it made me think of, you know, my younger days. Obviously, I'm not doing this anymore at, at 45, but it made me think of being back out and going to like the club and this DJ, right? And everything he's playing got people dancing, right? Every song. There's nobody sitting down. There's nobody standing up against the wall. Everybody is dancing to every single song he plays back to back to back. And this is, that's just what it felt like. It was like, look, they got everybody dancing on the floor right now <laughs> on that <laughs> on that Chiefs offensive staff because everything they're playing, everybody is feeling it. Um, so, Carrie, let, let me go to you now. Uh, what are your thoughts coming off of that Chiefs loss? Um, you know, anything specific to the game itself and, and then maybe some some bigger picture stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I want to keep a, a positive spin on it, kind of going forward. But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't hit on the uh, the offensive play calling. So, you know, over the last two seasons, we've seen in a few big games um, play calling um, rhythm kind of be easily bothered with this team. Uh, and for me, play calling isn't something that you can always uh, quantify. Uh, sometimes bad calls work and sometimes uh, good ones don't. You know, I've always considered it to be more of an art than a science. Uh, I'm not smart enough to you know, necessarily diagnose it in that way. But for me, it's a flow and a cohesion uh, that I just know it when I see it. And for whatever reason, you didn't see it with the Ravens uh, offense on Monday night. Um, the lack of uh, rushing attempts uh, is kind of the low hanging fruit. You know, obviously, that's a concern. But, you know, I, I see some other things uh, that are concerning uh, with the passing game and just the the uh, the lack of uh, variation. Um, you know, we were expecting things to kind of come together as far as down the field shots and outside the hashes, uh, you know, hoping to see some more things um, uh, from that standpoint. Uh, and that was supposedly a focus in the offseason. But, um, you know, through three games, that hasn't really come to fruition. So, you know, this isn't a situation where I'm on the ledge by any means, but I think it'll be something to kind of monitor uh, going forward. Um, and I mean, to kind of to piggyback on what you guys, um, you know, said as far as the Chiefs go, I mean, they're just I mean, they're just a, a tough team to beat. I mean, they're the offense is what it is. I mean, the offense is a juggernaut. They have number 15 back there. He's a special player. They have, uh, you know, special offensive minds and they have a collection of talent that uh they can challenge every blade of the grass on the field, any and every play, you know, down in distance, you know, literally means nothing to them. You know, so when you have a uh, kind of a collection of talent like that and a play caller and, you know, all these different elements, that's a difficult offense to to try to corral. Um, and when you look at them as a whole, to me, there's only two ways you beat them is can you rush for and generate pressure and can you ground their offense um, by running the football? And so when you look at those two points, 
the Ravens um, haven't shown the ability to do number one and they've kind of refused to do number two in these games that they've played the Chiefs recently. So I, I think uh, until they clean those things up, um, I think it's fair to say that they're looking up at the Chiefs um, as everybody else in the NFL is at this point. But, you know, I do have some confidence that they can um, kind of clean up both of those things. I, I do think that they will commit to running the football going forward. And I, I do have, uh, you know, at least a, a fair amount of confidence that, you know, by the end of the year, they'll be able to find a combination of players uh, in that four man rush um, scheme, you know, situation. Now, I should say not scheme. Um that can generate enough pressure to kind of uh, be able to uh, disrupt some things just enough to um, to kind of execute. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how I, I see this um, this Kansas City game. And, you know, regardless of what the score is, just one game. And, you know, they got to learn a lot from what transpired on Monday night. And, you know, there's a long season and. You know, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of new pieces to this defense, a lot of different things that, you know, they were getting their first kind of um, uh, look at, you know, football on this higher level. So, you know, I I think there's a lot of um, um, lessons that can be learned from this game. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I'm I'm going to I'm going to stick with the the music and the, the being in the club analogy. Um, in regards to the play calling from the Ravens perspective. And unfortunately, uh, in that game for Greg Roman, he was that DJ where everything he played, people would leave the dance floor. <laughs> you know, people people are looking back at the DJ booth, throwing their hands up in the air like, what, what you playing, man? What, what is this? That's just how it went. You know, it was just one of those nights. And, you know, like you, like you said, Kerry, sometimes – with play calling, it is about a rhythm and a flow, you know, kind of approach to it. And when we sit back and we look at it and, you know, we look at the, the, the run pass mix, you know, it's really easy to say, well, look how well they were running it on that first drive. And then they get away from it. And then obviously later in the game, you know, the score is more of a factor. So I think people understand that, but I think people are thinking more sort of earlier in the game, like, Hey, why didn't you, you know, kind of stick with the run a little more, but and I'm not going to I'm not going to deny that that that's a very valid you know criticism. But for me, I look at the plays that they did end up calling and trying to get an understanding of, OK, well, why didn't those plays work? Why weren't they able? Why weren't they? Why weren't they able to execute those plays? And you can I'm not going to do it now because, you know, we want to move on from this. But you can look at some of those individual plays and, and, and pick you know, certain elements and say, oh, well, if this had happened or if this player had done this or, you know, wide receiver or tight end catches the ball or if Lamar sees this player or running back makes this decision or this cut, you know, you, you can you can go on and on with that. And then, you know, if those things happen, maybe there's a different outcome on those plays. And then maybe you come away from the game feeling differently about the play call. So it's one of those things that, that you know, can, can be uh, something that has a lot of variation in that way. So I, I certainly would not tell anybody who says, look, I, I don't care about all that. They should have ran the ball more. They got away from it too quickly. I look, I'm, I'm not gonna, gonna dismiss that or, or try to, to say that that's not valid in any way, but just kind of an offering, offering another, another way to think about it. So 
it is what it is. Hopefully, you know, um, Greg Roman and the offense and the defense as well, you know, both both sides of the ball. Hopefully they can um, be that that DJ, that Eric B. Enemy and Andy Reid work where, you know, they go into this Washington game and they start playing the hits. Right. They start playing the stuff that everybody loves. Um, obviously, we had the one bright spot from the game. Right. Devin DuVernay's kick return TD. I mean, that was uh, really impressive. We really got to see his speed. You know, we, we've been hearing about it. And, and those of us that are draft fans and watched him at Texas, you know, we, we, we had the opportunity to see that speed watching some of the college film. But then we got to see it uh, really on display on that kick return, because once he got outside and hit that corner, it was over. I mean, that that was easy, easy games that, that did not even look like there was much effort. Uh, <laughs> being put into just how fast he was moving down the field. So that part was exciting for me as a person who probably, you know, looks at and, and maybe cares about special teams a little bit more than maybe even I should have. But just last thing I'll say real quick, and we'll move on to the Washington. I got watch, watching Mahomes orchestrate that offense because um, I'm old enough to remember this. Maybe everybody who, who, who listens might not remember this, but I got very distinct greatest show on turf kind of vibes from watching that offense. So for those who don't know, that's the St. Louis Rams uh, during the 99 and 2001. They kind of had this three-year, three-season run where it was it was just you couldn't stop it. And it kind of goes to Kerry's point where it's like they didn't care about the down and distance. I mean, I can remember watching those games, and they'd get a penalty, right? false start or whatever and lose 10 yards or sometimes even like 15 yards, right? It was some kind of personal foul or something. They didn't even care. They could care less <laughs> about going backwards because they knew that they could generate so many big plays and score in so many different ways. And um, think about that team, right? I mean, obviously there's there's a difference between Pat Mahomes and Kurt Warner from just a, a, a talent standpoint. But you have a quarterback who's in a groove, who's extremely hot in that three-year span. Marshall Falk. Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, Oz Hakeem, don't sleep on Ricky Pro, who's on the team too. Uh, <laughs> and so you think about that collection of talent and you look at the Chiefs. Obviously, Mahomes, um, Clyde Edwards Alaire added to the mix this year. We all know about uh, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, McCole Hardman kind of coming into his own now. Sammy Watkins, um, you know, we, we know the draft pedigree there, and, and we know, look, especially that first game of the season, right? That seems to be the game. The first game of every of every year with Sammy Watkins on the Chiefs, he's going to blow up for somebody in fantasy. Um, but, but you know, nevertheless, we know he, he's a talented player. So there's just talent all over that offense, right? And then obviously they, they, they have a very solid offensive line. Not 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 a lot of big big names. I mean, I think people know Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. No, he's he's an All Pro type player, but you know the rest of the guys are just really solid. And so I think you have a great collection of offensive skill talent. You have probably the best designers. I'm going to say co-designers because look, I know Andy Reid is, is great, but don't don't sleep on on EB. Come on, people. We know Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach in this league. So the best designers, co-designers of offense probably going in the league right now and then a defense that um you know has has shown some strides for sure from from when spagnolo first got that job and took over there so uh, it's tough they're a tough out they're an extremely tough out they're super bowl champs for a reason and they're going to be a tough out all season long but as you both hit on a lot of season left to play um it is a week-to-week league 
things can look bad one week and look great the next and, and then can, can go right back and that cycle can, can, can alternate or it can be like last year where you hit that that uh, that pace after the Cleveland game where you rattle off 12 in a row. You just never know, you know. So sit back, enjoy it. Keep in mind you have the league MVP at quarterback, one of the most exciting players in the league and, and a lot of young talent on offense and, and on defense too. So just enjoy it, man. You know, sit back and enjoy it. Appreciate what you're seeing. And if you're a longtime Ravens fan, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. You know, you know what some of these offenses, and particularly that quarterback, it's it's been like if you go back. So keep that in the back of your mind. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't that long ago where they had Jimmy Clausen start a game. Oh, Jimmy Clausen, man! I thought I was pulling some names when I talked about Spurgeon Wynn and Stony King. <laughs> 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 you you pulled the Jimmy Clausen. That's a good one too. Um, so yeah, definitely keep, keep perspective, like in, in all things in life, not just in football, being a football fan, perspective is, is, is pretty important. Yeah. And, so, and when, and to stay on that, just for a sec, a quick second, uh, the defense, I, I think we, we lose sight of the, the defense is still a fairly new unit with all the, the new pieces to it. And we were speaking earlier and Mike said, you know, just because they're vets, it doesn't mean that it's a seamless transition. And, you know, this is only the third game of the of the year where they're together and no preseason. So you would think that, you know, later on in the year, this group with the vets, the new vets that are on the team and with the rookies that are getting playing time, that by the time the playoffs run around or even week 10, that this group will should be, you know, a, a more cohesive group and, and and work better as a unit and be able to flow better because we saw there were a lot of miscommunication breakdowns and there were, you know, some instances where uh, guys were blitzing through the same gap or not giving each other enough room to, to operate. And, you know, I, I feel like those are things that will get cleaned up and, and, and they'll be able to work better as the season goes along. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Like you, you, you say it, Chris, you can look back to, how things started at the beginning of last season, whether it be the Arizona game where they, they pulled out a win, but they gave up a bunch of yards, and then the Kansas City game and the Cleveland game. You know, we all know how that went. And then how the defense performed from that point on. So it really is a growth process on both sides of the ball. But, but we're, you know, we're, we're talking about the defense specifically right now. So, you know, we, we talked before the show about identity, right, and about how teams have identities you know, we, we know collectively, and, and maybe maybe that's not even the right word, maybe historically, uh, we know this team, the identity has been run the ball, you know, control con- control the ball, possession, and play defense, right? That, that, that's kind of what it's been historically for the Ravens, and, and maybe even has been magnified a little bit with Lamar. But while that might be true from a, a historic perspective, each season is a new team. Even when you have players, you know, from the previous season who are still on the team, there's always going to be an influx of some new players, whether it's rookies, obviously, every year, or vets that come from other teams. Um, There's always going to be an influx of new players. And so that team is a new and distinct team in that way. And they have to find their own individual identity that you know, is is, is sometimes wrapped up in that historic identity, and sometimes it, it diverges from that become something even different 
you know, like that one year where the, the Ravens led the league and passed it. You know? So <laughs> sometimes there can be a, a, a collection of circumstances that happen and, and, and can cause you to kind of diverge from whatever that identity had been. So this team is going to develop their identity. Like Harbaugh always says, the story has yet to be written. You know, we're still, we're still writing the story on what this this 2020 Ravens team will be. So, you know, it's the, we're not in the last chapter by any stretch after week three. So just it's it's all just keep that in mind. And it's Thursday that we're recording this, and so we're, we're looking for it. You know, we talk about it because it's it's something that you know we felt like we wanted to share our thoughts and our opinions on it. But we're looking forward. We're moving forward, right? That's what, what's what's that analogy about why the the uh, the window in the front of your car is bigger than the one in the back because what's in front of you is more important than what's behind you. Right? That's so, right. I think I got that from church or something like that. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, we're gonna we're gonna move forward and take a take a look forward to this Washington game, and uh, I'll start out with you, Carrie, this time. So, the Washington football team. Uh, I'm gonna try to make sure I don't slip up and use a name that I, I'm so glad no longer exists. Uh, but they're a team with a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins. Uh, a young receiver and Terry McLaren, a young running back in Antonio Gibson, right? So, so there's some youth there on the offense and in the defense, man, everybody knows about their defensive line, all of the first round picks, right? Just all the first round picks. And even with Chase Young being out, I think he has been ruled out for this week. And maybe even Matt Ioannidis too. He's another good player on that line. I don't, I don't know his status, but I, I heard it was iffy. But even yeah, if you out. don't, oh, is he? Okay, so both of those guys are out. So even if you don't have those guys, they still have four former first-round picks starting on the T-line. Montez Sweat, uh, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, and Ryan Kerrigan. Sometimes people forget Ryan Kerrigan was a first-round pick. So D-line, still very solid. And, um, you know, Ron Rivera, first-year coaching there, has got that that pedigree from, you know, the player and a coach with the Bears and obviously what he did with the Panthers. Long intro. What do you think about this game against Washington, Kerry? Yeah, I think my thought – um, about this game is really more of a kind of like a question uh, for you guys. And it's kind of like, an, you know, it's not so much of a statement as much as it is an observation and just something I'm going to be curious to see how things kind of um, break uh, throughout the season. And I look at this and I, and I can't help but the question can you have three backs be this evenly involved on a weekly basis? Um, so, you know, with Martin Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards, they're playing pretty even um, snaps on a weekly basis. It's like everybody's playing in, you know, in that 30-some percent uh, range. And I just wonder if that's something that's, that's optimal um, you know, as a long-term, you know, thing for the, uh, the season as a whole. And, um, it makes me think back to, I believe it was Alvin Kamara's rookie year with the saints. Uh, they had him, they had Mark Ingram and they had Adrian Peterson and they were trying to play all three of them early on in the season. And, you know, it wasn't going very well. And, you know, Peterson was getting frustrated. Peterson really didn't contribute in the passing game. And so when he came into the game, it was like a dead giveaway uh, that, 
you know, a run was being called. And so, um, you know, his frustration kind of boiled over. They ended up getting rid of um, Adrian Peterson and they went with Martin Ingram and Kamara and the offense took off from there. And I just wonder, uh, you know, with the Ravens, is this a situation where and I'm not saying they get r- rid of one of the bags, um, you know, not even saying that they do something as drastic as just making it making it a, you know, a two man backfield. But I just wonder going forward, um, especially in a game like this, where I I'd, I would be shocked if we didn't see the most run uh, rushing attempts of the season in this game. I just wonder from, um, you know, from a standpoint of, of being optimal, from a standpoint of getting guys in rhythm, um, it would this be a game where you see it kind of more heavily skewed to two of the three guys? And then maybe another week, maybe it's a, a different two guys. So, you know, just kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on that and, um, you know, just kind of, just kind of workshopping it, just thinking out loud on that. Well, Chris, let me let me let me throw that to you. I'll let you get your thoughts out there first, because I imagine um, at least one of the things you want to say is not enough snaps for Gus Edwards. But <laughs> but, but I'll let you I'll let you share your thoughts on that, and then I'll I'll, I'll chime in when you're done. No, what it reminds me of is the 2008 backfield when they had Leron McLean, Willis McGahey, and Ray Rice. And, you know, Ray Rice obviously being the J.K. Dobbins role because we we see him coming in. He's he's pretty much the passing down back right now. And that's what, what we saw from Ray Rice uh, in 2008. And right now, Mark Ingram is pretty much playing the McGahey role. And then Gus Edwards is McLean. So we've seen them have success with this. But with the individual players, you kind of wonder... Because there, there are some some backs that can come in, and I feel like J.K. Dobbins is one of these backs where he's gonna he's gonna be able to, you know, just optimize all of his touches, and he can get you know every every single ounce of yardage that he can get, he'll get it with with uh, each touch that he has. But then there are other backs where they kind of have to get into a groove, and they they need to settle in. But right, right before they they start hitting their their stride, and I don't I don't think either of these backs are like that because we see their yards per carry, and Gus Edwards has always been a yards per carry guy, and he's just looked phenomenal. Like just from looking at him, his rookie season, and then last season, and now you see him in his third year, and he just looks even better than than he he's ever looked, and. Um, you you want to see them get get more touches to all, pretty much all of them, um, but I, I do think they can be successful with a three headed attack. But it's just getting into that groove of play calling, like we said, where Eric Bieniemy and and Andy Reid just that night they were everything was just clicking, and with. Greg Roman, it, it just feels like he hasn't gotten there yet with this new three-headed backfield. But I think just with, you know, more game reps and more more game, in-game situations, I feel like that'll come with time. But right now it's, it's a feeling out process to see which back fits in, in what situation and 
where we can interchange them. And I think right now they're just trying to get that 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 groove right now as just as a unit. And that's kind of where I was going to go with it, too. Um, I, I think it, it is a little bit of a matter of finding out the best way to deploy these guys. You know, this this is a new division of labor in the backfield this year. I mean, you can you can go back and look at last year and say, hey, they, they kind of found a good a good mix with with Mark Ingram and, and Gus Edwards. And obviously Lamar had a had a bunch of carries, too. Um, but this is this is a new division of labor right now. Now you add J.K. Dobbins into this and, and his skill set and, and the different ways that you want to use him and, and, and get uh, him in positions to to exploit mismatches. So there's there's a learning process in that. And I think to your point, uh, Chris, that can even go back to the shortened offseason. Like, you know, if you mm. had the normal offseason time that they that they they are used to having you know if it wasn't shortened because of the pandemic then you might have been able to get uh sort of a feel for this uh a little more than than kind of where they are right now it could still be a work in progress even if they had all that all that time but i think you know they might have been a little bit more comfortable with how they wanted to divvy all of this up but to carrie's point too i mean i I can definitely see it from both sides i mean it, it can be difficult because you hear running backs all the time talk about how it's important to get in a rhythm and how it takes carries you know to to be able to get into the rhythm and the flow of the game and and how your blocks uh are being set up and and being able to read those and what the defense is presenting you so that can definitely kind of be a little bit of a start stop kind of thing i think for certain guys when they're kind of in and then they're out and then they're back in and and that can kind of mess with their rhythm so I definitely see both sides of it, but I think I do lean more towards the side of they're going to they're going to figure it out from a play calling standpoint and kind of a division of labor standpoint. But they're just not there yet, uh, but I think that they'll get there. And you're, you're right about Gus. man. He, he has looked really good in, the, in the, the, the opportunities that he's had this year. And, you know, people people talk today about Devin DuVernay. Uh, earning a bigger offensive role. I bet Gus has earned a bigger <laughs> offensive role in a lot of ways. And people may say, well, yeah, he's kind of limited, right, in terms of what his role is in the offense. But I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think let's, uh, let, let's get him some of those opportunities and see where it goes. I don't know how limited he is. Maybe it is. But let's, let's see because what we've seen so far in that sample size has looked pretty darn good. And to, to Kerry's point, we probably will see a lot of rushing from all three guys uh, if, if things go the way that we think they might go uh, against Washington. So um, I know, Chris, you got to talk about and, and kind of respond to Kerry's questions, but let me get any of your other thoughts about the, the matchup with Washington. Um, I, I think it's a great situation for them to, to rebound uh, after a, a really tough loss. Uh, this, this Washington team there, you know, they, they got, they have a lot of young guys, uh, not a lot of experience. Uh, we know where their bread and butter is is that defensive line, and and I, I you never want to see guys get hurt. But I'm I'm not going to say I was sad to see that uh, Matt Ioannidis and Chase Young were not going to be playing in this game because uh, th- they would have been a handful. I mean th- that defensive line is already going to be a handful without those guys. So with them, it just would have been even worse. But I just feel like it's 
it's going to be too much uh, for the for the Washington offense to, to, to overcome because this is going to be a mad, mad defense that, that's coming in to, to kind of just reclaim their, their dominance that they kind of got kind of got taken away a little bit on 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 Monday night. They they want to reclaim that that dominance that they had and that that Raven style. So I, I definitely feel like they're going to want to come in there and and just make a make a huge statement to the rest of the league who thinks that they're down and out right now. Yeah, that's kind of how I see it too. I I, I think that uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the Washington offense first because I, I actually think there could be something a little more interesting there on the defense side. I really think this could be a tough game for Dwayne Haskins. I don't know that he's seen a scheme like the Ravens employ on defense. So that so that's just that part. Setting aside what you just said, Chris, which is which is very important that yeah we can talk about their scheme and, and how complicated it can be, especially for young quarterbacks. But they're mad. I mean, you know, they they certainly feel like they have a standard on defense in Baltimore, a historic standard. Everybody talks about that all the time. And, you know, they're very prideful when it comes to that. And I, I think this is this this group, even though, you know, like we just said a few minutes ago, there's some new pieces or whatever. I still think this group uh, is a prideful group and and wants to to live up to that standard. So. I think that they probably feel some some embarrassment in some ways about, you know, some of the ways they played on Monday night and they're going to be looking to exact some revenge. And unfortunately for the Washington team, they're the ones in the way of that. Now, in terms of Washington's defense, I like Ron Rivera. I've always liked Ron Rivera. I think, you know, he's, he's, he's the kind of head coach uh, that I respect. I I think he's, he's a, a good defensive mind. And when I looked at their defensive personnel, I actually got a chance to watch the the Browns game. Uh, you know, Browns beat them. Obviously, they watched him turn the ball over five times. That that's never going to help. But just from how they're constructed and the system that Rivera runs, I actually kind of like their defense. I, I, we've talked about the D line. That that's that's a no brainer. But even their secondary, um, you know, their corners they had Kendall Fuller, they had Ronald Darby and Jimmy Moreland. Um, you know, one of one of JLMU's finest in the slot there, and then um, Collins—I always forget his first name—Collins <laughs> at the, at one of the safety spots. Uh, he used to play for the Giants. It's, that's what I remember about him, but I always forget his first name. And then uh, Troy Apke, who you know, some people again who who followed the draft and kind of into that tested like a freak at the combine when he came out of Penn State. Um, maybe it was a year ago. So. You hear some of those names, you're thinking, yeah, okay, I heard some of those names, but what's he talking about? Well, Ron Rivera really plays uh, kind of a, a zone-heavy kind of coverage system, and so I think those guys in that system could really work pretty well. You know, you got all these guys with with, with eyes on the ball, and you know, when you're in that system and not playing a ton of man. You know, you can you can maybe mitigate some things if you if you maybe look at some of those players and say, well, I don't I don't know if they they have this or they have that. But you can mitigate some of that stuff when you play in that zone system and you keep everything in front of you. You know, you try to keep everything in front of you. You try to limit the big plays. Obviously, with eyes on the ball like that coming out, you have more opportunities for interceptions. Um, It's harder to get interceptions when you play a lot of man. 
because oftentimes you're you're turning away from the quarterback, right? You're you're running with your guys. You don't always see the ball coming out. So I think from that standpoint, the 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 secondary personnel is a good fit for the system. And then, you know, the linebackers, you know, if you were to look at it, might might be the the part of the team where you say, well, maybe that's not quite as strong as the other. Because I think from what I wrote down today, I think their core is uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, John Bostick, Sean Dion Hamilton, and Thomas Davis, senior, who, you know, was a long, long time Carolina Panther. So that might be the area where you look at and say, yeah, I don't know if that's quite as strong as maybe some of the other areas. But uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis is an athletic guy. Bostick, really good against the run. People might remember him from some of his days uh, with the Steelers. Um for, for, you know, Ravens fans and AFC North fans. And uh, Thomas Davis obviously was a good player for a really, really long time. Um, not the same guy he was, obviously, but still uh, a lot of experience and a lot of savvy. And Sean Dion Hamilton, still a young guy, um, you know, out of Alabama, kind of still growing into um, a role. But, you know, there there is some ability there. So the, the, I would not be surprised if the defense maybe, you know, presented you know, uh, some 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 problems for the Ravens offense at time, but not not anything where I think it's it's going to uh, limit the offense in any kind of significant way. So just just something to, to to keep an eye on and think about. But that's sort of my take on the game. So now here comes the fun part, right? This is this is where if you or tuning in for this, if this is why you tune in. Hopefully, you know, we always hope you listen to everything. But if you tune in for the fantasy information, get ready, right? Press record. You old school like me, writing stuff down, jotting down notes instead of typing it up like some some person who's got, you know, some some sanity. Uh, (laughs) Using pencil and paper or pen and paper. Uh, But this is the time. This is the time. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, Kerry actually drops an article on Russell Street Report. Um, I think you say it comes out every Thursday, right, Kerry? Yeah, yeah, Thursdays. Okay, so that that article dropped today, so you can go out to Russell Street Report, uh, check that article out, so you know you can you can see everything uh, that Kerry had to share in terms of this week's um, you know fantasy plays. But we'll turn it over to Kerry right now to talk about um, maybe some of the stuff that he had in that article, or maybe, maybe, you know, he'll be kind enough to share some stuff that wasn't in the article and, 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 and kind of tip you on, you know, on some of that. Yeah. So I'm going to go um, kind of to the redraft streets with this one and kind of, you know, talk some kind of big picture, more, uh, you know, theory kind of related stuff. Well, not really theory, but, you know, more uh, strategy related uh, but I just re- realized we kind of missed something big, and I think we definitely need to hit on it before we get to fantasy. Marlon Humphrey's extension. Mm, yeah, that's right. Five, <laughs> yeah, uh, we we buried the lead. Yeah, big time. Yeah, so you know, I'll kind of start with my thoughts on it. I mean, obviously, it's very des- deserving. Uh, you know, he's a tremendous player. Um, you know core piece of this team, you know, you see him growing as a leader, growing as a player, um, you know, so all that's great. Uh, but even outside of that, I just love to see people's grind and, and, and sacrifice uh, turn into life-changing money. I mean, this contract 
could literally be the start of like generational wealth for his family. And that's huge. I mean, that that's just a, a blessing. And so I know it's a very exciting time for him and his family. Um, but I'm, I'm also sure it's a it's a reflective time for them. You know, I'm sure all of them are thinking back to uh, different times in his life and, you know, hurdles that he's had to jump over and, you know, kind of working through those different moments to kind of lead up to this moment. So um, super happy for him and his family and, you know, super happy to be able to keep watching him play football for the Ravens. Yeah, I'll turn it. I'll turn it over to you, Chris, before I go. What what do you what do you think about um, the extension Marlon signed today? Um, it's, it's great. I mean, it's something that we, you know, all Ravens fans have been waiting for. It's it seems like him and Ronnie are the two two big shoes that that needed to drop for the Ravens. Uh, big cap hits uh, and, and getting them re-signed. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited for him. Like Kerry said, you know, I'm always happy to see these young guys that, that work so hard and put in so many hours and sacrifice their, their bodies and time with their family you know, in order to play the game at the level that they do. So anytime they can get rewarded for it, I'm, I'm always happy for them. And, and Marlon, you know, he's definitely a guy that he, you know, he's worked, worked his, his ass off in order to get to where he is right now, because it's easy to say, Oh yeah, he's a first rounder. This is what he was supposed to be. But there are a lot of most first round picks flame out of the league. And, you know, this is a testament to show how far he's come along, because if when he was coming out, you said, oh, yeah, he'll be able to play outside and play in the slot. You'll be like, ain't no damn way he's playing in the slot. And right now, he this is going to be the second year where he's had to fill in and be the slot guy for the Ravens. And he not only plays the slot, he plays it very well. And I quite frankly... I feel like I mean, we, we heard Wink say this a few weeks ago where he said he could play in any era and, you know, excel and, and, and be dominant at, at any pretty much any level of the field. And to see a guy get what he deserves and for the Ravens to, to lock down, you know, a cornerstone of the franchise, it, it was great to see. Yeah, I um I was happy for him, obviously, just like we've all expressed. And, and I think Kerry hit on a really good point about how this can be life changing in terms of creating generational wealth opportunities. I mean, that for for people who don't think about it that way, I mean, that that it's hard to even even find a word that accurately describes how how, how important that can be. I mean, they're 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 children who haven't even been born yet. Who are going to benefit from from this contract extension and and have right. oppor- and have opportunities in their lives that will be very different than you know maybe the opportunities they would have had if 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 things had not happened this way for Marlon. So really really happy for him and and to your point about the player, Chris, um, it's rare. It's, it's it's just rare in this day because it's, you know so many things have become specialized now. Uh, to 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 find a guy who can play outside at a high level, uh, who can move into the slot and play there at a high level. I mean, obviously he's he's got the athletic profile, but then to to Wink's point about being able to play in any era, it's it's he's so physical. He just plays corner like a linebacker. 
Uh, and, and that really shows up when he moves into the slot because sometimes he has to get, you know, more when you're inside, you got to get more involved in, in the run fits and, and you're doing some, some blitzing as well. You're going to be physical in there. And he is no uh, doubt that, about yeah, that. That is, that is not a problem for him at all. And I'll, I'll pull a receipt for myself. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, a embarrassed or ashamed to admit this going back to that draft. Uh, he was a first round pick. I think he was picked maybe somewhere around number 16 or something like that. I wasn't I wasn't sure I loved the pick, you know, because I'm thinking about we got Jimmy still had Webb back at that time. And, you know, we got other needs on the team. And I'm not a big I wasn't a big O.J. Howard guy. So it's not like I was leaning that way or anything. I was just, I'm, I'm, I can't even remember maybe which way I was leaning. But I guess I was just thinking, yeah, we, we you always need corners, but we could get a corner later. We don't need to take one here. But. I mean, I've been proven about as wrong as you could possibly prove somebody <laughs> with how Marlon has performed. And it's not just that he's become one of the better cornerbacks in the league. I mean, I think he's he's in that top cornerback discussion. There's no, For there's sure. No, there's no doubt about yeah. that in my mind. Sure. But the thing that has also, you know, sort of developed is the playmaking ability, right? It's not just his yeah. ability to cover people. Taking the ball away, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's punching out balls, whether it's intercepting, you know, tip passes or just, you know, straight out, you know, intercepting it on his own. Um, the playmaking ability that he's added over the last you know, year or two just has kind of taken an already really good player to another level. So everything that we just talked about, he's obviously extremely deserving. And, and if anybody watched his press conference today, when he started talking about his family, and the dad in particular and, and the, the sacrifices and the commitment they made to him to get him to this, you know, this this place. Um, he started tearing up and got emotional about it. And I got emotional about it watching it and I didn't get a dime today. But um, <laughs> in, anybody who, you know, thinks back to their childhood, so this isn't even about the money or playing in the NFL or anything like that. But anybody who thinks back to their childhood and maybe like like so many of us have made some mistakes, maybe even got into a little bit of trouble when they were younger. And you think about the people in your life, whether it was your parents or other siblings or family members who didn't give up on, you know, who continue to invest in you because they believed in what you could be. Right. They weren't just locked in on what you were in that moment. They believed in what you could be. So, um, that that resonated with me in a big way. And I can understand why he got emotional in that moment, because, you know, when you're going through that as a kid, you don't necessarily think about it that way. But when you get to that point where he was at and, yeah, the money obviously puts things in a different context. But um, just thinking about the career that he's had in this short career and the success that he's had, I know he's thinking about all of those things. And he, he obviously could could pull you know, individual stories if he wanted to and say, oh, I remember this time and that time. But it's just such an important thing, you know, to have those people in your life who believe in you and are committed to your success, even when maybe you ain't, you know, quite doing all the things that you're supposed to. But they don't let you stray. You know, they don't let you stray too far off that path because they, they believe in what you can be. So that was awesome to see that. So happy that he's locked up and you know, just Eric DaCosta continuing. You know, we saw a bunch of it last year with extending guys, trading for guys. I mean, come on, you know, fifth round pick for Marcus Peters. Ridiculous. But anyway, um, 
you know, DaCosta, true to his word, when he took over as the GM, he said, you know, look, I, I want to build a team that can contend for years to come, not just yearly, you know, and, you know, one year we're good, next year we're not. I want a perennial contender. And you do that by retaining your good young players. And that, that's what he's been committed to doing. So, yep. And uh, the homegrown guys specifically, he mentioned, yeah. keeping those guys in house because, like we saw with Earl Thomas, there's less of a risk when you've had a guy in your house for four years than bringing in a guy who, you know, he. He might be great. He might have put up great numbers at another place, but you don't know what makes that guy tick. And we saw that with Earl Thomas. You know, when when you know a guy, and you feel a lot more comfortable handing him over that bag, as they say. Yeah, free free agents are free agents for a reason. And I mean, that's a simplistic way to say it because some, sometimes it's it's just the market, right? I don't. You you could look back to last year with with CJ or with Zadarius. I don't think that there was any concerns about them from a personality or off-field standpoint. They just did the market, you know, outpriced what the Ravens could could reasonably pay for them. So it's not always true that, you know, free agent is out there because of, of some of that stuff, like we found out with Earl. But sometimes it is that stuff. And, you know, that that's the, the kind of the buyer beware kind of part of it that you're not always sure about when you are bringing in those guys. So, yeah, to your point, Chris. When it's the guys that you, your scouts have scouted, you know, going back to college and then you get them in um, to your program and now they're on the team and your coaches have coached these guys and they see them day in and day out. Right. In the meeting rooms, in the training room, in community events, they 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 learn who they are as people. And so they get to know what kind of person they have in their organization, not just the football player. And so that that goes a long way. So, yeah, you can totally understand why DeCosta is committed to keeping those guys. So thanks, Carrie. Again, always, you know, being the one to 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 lead us, the visionary on the show to make sure that we, we don't we don't lose sight of the things that are important uh, to talk about and to discuss. So thank you, Carrie. But now I will I'll turn it back over to you to to, to kind of, you know, pick back up with uh, discussing some some of your uh your fantasy advice. Yeah. So this week I wanted to uh, focus on uh, redraft and, you know, kind of what we're dealing with right now. Uh, this is like a super important time in redraft. I mean, I know it's early, but just consider all the things we've seen so far. Uh, you know, the consensus number one and number two picks uh, in the draft both go down to injury. You know, CMC is going to be out for a while. Um, Barkley's um, Saquon Barkley's out for the season. Uh, we got other players that people were really counting on uh, that are trying to w- work their way back from injury. And uh, now we have uh, this COVID um, situation with the Titans that's delaying the game this weekend. And if you're like me that have Titans and a bunch of Steelers on your team, you you're pretty much <laughs> shit out of luck this week. <laughs> so. Right now, I think this is an important time for people to um, really assess their teams. And you kind of have, have to have some come to Jesus meetings about where your team stands for the rest of the year. And, you know, once you do that, you kind of got to move accordingly. Uh, so this to me, everybody, it should be a deep focus on uh, buying and selling. Like you should be in that mode. Uh, if you haven't already. 
uh, look at those teams that have uh, that had CMC and had Barkley. And if you have any kind of stability at running back, um, you know, send an offer out there. You know, make them an offer. Um, one of those running backs for, you know, uh, maybe a piece that you could use, you know, maybe an upgraded wide receiver and, you know, try to use that leverage. Um, you know, I, I don't mean that in a way to, uh, you know, kick somebody while they're down. But I mean, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes that's the best time to kick them is when they down. (laughs) 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 But no, seriously, you can, you can take advantage of a situation and also make it beneficial for the other person. And I I think that's a, um, a huge focus for me. Please just don't blindly send offers to people without considering that that person's motivations you know look at their roster uh you know see where they may be a little weak at and you know see what you have that you know maybe potentially shores up their situation and while also you know shoring up your situation you know there can be win-win trades out there um you know there can be difference of opinions on value of players and so you may acquire a player that you're like, hey, man, this is a steal. And that other person may not see it that way. And then it just becomes a, a, a point of, OK, who was right? So, you know, don't be afraid to have that that dialogue, you know, be aggressive. Go out there and, you know, see what's available. Try to buy guys low, um, you know, s- see what people are willing to do. You know, I've had to do that a little bit more. I'm not typically somebody in redraft that's that's super aggressive on the trade market uh but i'll give you kind of a personal example of one of my teams that i had to you know step outside of my comfort zone a bit um so one of my teams i had the number two pick and i took um saquon at number two and then i got to that two three turn and well first off did i ever tell you guys how much i hated the two three turn this year i mean like absolutely (laughs) hated it so I get to the two three turn in this um, league, and all the running backs are gone. Kelsey is gone. Lamar and Mahomes are gone. So I went with Kittle and I went with Hopkins. So okay, great. Barkley gets hurt. Then Kittle gets hurt. Now in this draft, I didn't really take a a, a RB too early because there wasn't anybody that I deemed you know valuable enough to, to to spend that kind of pick on so i said okay i got barkley you know he'll be my workhorse and i'll just kind of take some flyers and kind of piece together rb2 when now barkley is out and i'm like okay well i can't piece together rb1 and rb2 i gotta <laughs> figure something out i gotta make some kind of move um and you know the waiver wire alone is not gonna fix the kind of hole i was in so uh what i ended up doing was i traded uh, Kittle and Zach Moss uh, for Antonio Gibson and Jared Cook. And I just looked at that as a uh, just a redistribution of talent on my team. And and I felt like it was important for me to get at least one running back who has some sort of ceiling. Um, we'll see Antonio Gibson this week. And, you know, the people that have watched him on tape understands what kind of talent this guy has. So he was a guy that I felt like you know, it's a lottery ticket. Um, if he doesn't hit, I'll live with it. But this guy has legitimate, uh, you know, top 
12 top 15 fantasy back type of upside. And I just wanted to have that on my team, you know, being short Barkley. So those are kind of the kind of the thought process you just have to have, the kind of decisions you want to try to make. And, um, you know, just don't sit on your hands and, um, you know, hit the waiver wire and think that you're going to, you know, prosper in that way. You know, this is a unique year. And so you have to be uh, uniquely aggressive um, with um, building your team. So, you know, I, I, I caution everybody to, you know, just go out there and, you know, really, really assess your team. And uh, don't be afraid to go out there and make offers and take some stands on some guys and, you know, try to buy some guys low. You know, maybe it's a Joe Mixon. Maybe it's a, a Kenyon Drake. Maybe it's a Will Fuller. Maybe it's a Deshaun Watson. You know, go out and aggressively try to get these guys whose um, schedules are starting to kind of clear up and they have some uh, have a, you know, a positive outlook going forward. Um, So, you know, I I just think it's real important, big picture wise for guys to uh, start thinking about that stuff now. You know, I know it's early in the season, but, you know, we have this COVID thing with the Titans and, you know, we don't know if this is going to be the last situation like that. As a matter of fact, we can probably um, guess that this won't be the last situation like that. So, you know, just uh, real important to kind of think outside the box. Um, you know, if you're not really used to um, trading and I can understand that, um, uh, try to get more comfortable with it. Just, you know, just talk to people, see what they like. And, you know, the first step, though, is um, really looking at your team and having an honest um, conversation with yourself about where your team is and what you need to uh, be able to compete. That's great advice. And you know, we all, the three of us, happen to be in a redraft league together. And I know people always say nobody wants to hear about your fantasy team. And so, of course, whenever somebody says that, then they start to tell you about their fantasy team, which is what <laughs> I'm about to do. But but only only to use it to illustrate some of those points and, and, and advice that Kerry gave. So I was already in that mindset after week one. I had already had that come to Jesus meeting with my team. And we had, and I know you're probably thinking, wait a minute, he said week one? Yeah, after week one, we had already had that meeting and we had already decided that we were in a tank for Trevor mode. We were taking (laughs) for Trevor Lawrence because the outlook was bleak. And then week two happened with injuries. And then now this week, I do have a couple of Steelers on my roster too. So to Kerry's point about being willing to, to maybe get a little more involved in the trade market and step outside your comfort zone, Chris and I have done a deal already in the league. I had Josh Jacobs, and, and, and people know, you know, Josh Jacobs had you know, a great performance week one. I tried to trade him after that performance. I actually offered somebody Jacobs and Julian Edelman for Kenyon Drake and Terry McClellan. They didn't want to do the deal, and so it, it, it didn't happen. But I was in that mindset pretty early on, not even before the injuries hit. Like, I didn't even know that was going to happen. But I just was kind of in that sell high mindset because I had evaluated my roster. I looked at my roster and said, I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't think that I have um, sort of the balance of talent. Um, and as Kerry mentioned in one of our previous podcasts, insurance on my insurance. I, I felt like I didn't have it. And I could kind of see that, man, if one or two things happens, I'm going to be in a bad way. 
And those one or two things have happened and I am in a bad way. So (laughs) I'm still going to be active in that trade market just because when I'm in redraft leagues, I've always kind of been that way. I just like to do deals. I think it's just fun. I mean, I think that's part of I mean, fancy football is supposed to be fun. I mean, I think sometimes we lose sight of that because there's there's money involved. Typically, a lot of people are playing in money leagues. And so that that adds a level of uh, seriousness and competitive to us, of course. But it's still supposed to be fun. And I think doing deals is fun when you get to kind of talk to people and, you know, kind of throw out different packages and different offers and, and see what motivates people and, and what what their likes and dislikes are. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy that part of it. So it won't be the last. I mean, I, I think I've probably offered three or four trades already in in our league. And I think Chris is the only one who's accepted any of my trades. Yeah, because but you, you, you reunited me with my son. That's why. Well, you know, I... It, how many how many of us in life can say that they've been part of a reunion like that a special <laughs> a special reunion so i i feel proud that for, I, I, feel, for those, I feel honored for those that don't know uh we i traded uh zach moss uh i mean no mike traded me zach moss and i traded him joshua kelly uh, I have everybody that knows me they know i'm a big zach moss guy and uh you know it's just it, it was something very nice what, what mike did <laughs> and so, see, that was to another to illustrate another one of Kelly's points. That was a deal where I think that both Chris and I felt like, you know, we we got something out of that deal that we wanted. You know, I don't think either one of us came in from came away from that deal thinking that they were taken advantage of in any way. Um, and that was early. That that might that might even been before the first game was played. Wasn't it? Did we do it in? I think it, it might have been either right before the first game or right after the first game. Yeah, so I didn't even know what, you know, obviously I, I knew about Joshua Kelly as the player and I was I was a fan of him as a player, but I didn't know what his opportunity was going to look like out there in, in L.A. And, you know, that, that kind of has developed to, into what it is. So um, that, that, that's been nice in that way, but it was it was something that we both felt like we, we got what we wanted out of the deal and nobody felt taken advantage of. So that that's I, I, one, two, three. I think that's at least three of the things that uh, three of the points that that Kerry hit on that I used our league to kind of illustrate. Not like I said, that anybody cares about specific players, but just to really um, kind of, you know, color in the, the things that Kerry shared and just how those things can be done. I mean, this is not this is not theoretical. You know, you can you can you can do this in your league. It's OK, um, you know, and and, and it, it could probably really benefit you. So, you know, for me, look, we're going to have Trevor Lawrence next year, so it's all good. But <laughs> but this year it's it's going to it's going to be a learning uh, opportunity this year. You know, we're going to get a lot of, a lot of young players on the field and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try to learn, you know, what we have here. Uh, it's just it's just going to be that kind of year yeah. for me. <laughs> well, Chris, let me let me let me get you on on this. Anything that that Carrie said, or any 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 thoughts of, of your own about fantasy? Uh, yeah, I'm 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 with you guys. I like to to trade, and and that's that's a fun part. You know, what I like to do is uh, I like to get a list of of players on each team that I like, and uh, what I'll do is I'll try to attack those players on down weeks. So, for example. Uh, DJ Chark, he was injured last week. He didn't play. And then the Jaguars offense looked terrible. So I feel like right now would be the time, depending on how, you know, that owner's team is doing, 
but they might be down on DJ Chark. They might be like, oh, you know, this guy's on a sinking ship right now because Minshew looked like garbage against the Dolphins. So I would try to attack him or or say someone like like Kenyon Drake, who was he was taken fairly high in most leagues. Uh, some leagues taken the end of the first round, uh, probably a second rounder in most leagues. And he hasn't really fulfilled that that uh, draft value yet. And it's still early. So I and his usage has been there. It's just the production hasn't. And I feel like it, it, it'll come. I, I don't think it's something to get uh, too alarmed at. But there are some people who they may have hated the pick. And they just took him because they needed a running back. And they reluctantly took this guy. And they're just desperate to get rid of him and try to get any value that they can. So if you're a believer in Kenyon Drake and, and how the Arizona offense will use him right now is the time to, to go get him. You don't wait till he has the big game. And then, you know, what you thought would happen is confirmed on, on, on a certain week. And then that's when you try to go get him because the owner's going to be like, no, like this guy's clicking right now. So try to try to the, the players that you believe in, try to get them on those low weeks because once they strike, you're not going to be able to get them. No, one that's very true. And one other thing I'll add about our league, again, just to kind of illustrate a broader point, and this this is, you know, I'm not breaking any news and people who are regular redraft players. See, I'm, I'm not. I, I, you know, years ago when I started fantasy, I, I was. And then over time, I've kind of morphed into almost like exclusively a DFS player. Um, but for those of you who are in redraft, this is this is not going to be breaking any news to you. But it was a, it was a it was a refresher and a reminder to me. Um, you have to be really proactive and really attentive and intentional about staying on top of information um, and, and not just the obvious stuff like injuries or just anything that could factor into um, a decision about your roster and having an understanding of the situations on teams, you know, what 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 a backfield looks like, what a receiver group looks like. Um, you know, how how that kind of shakes out on an individual team and who's getting opportunity and who's not. And, you know, is there any kind of projecting you can do on that? Um, and then obviously the injury stuff is, 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 you know, goes without saying, you know, you have to be very quick uh, to react to that. And, and, and to Kerry's point, try to try to have a plan for this stuff. Like, you know, this stuff is going to happen. Right. It's almost like a car. Right. You know that something is going to need to be repaired on a car. You don't always know what it's going to be. I mean, there's certain things that you know. You know, you need brakes, tires, oil changes, all that. But there's going to be other stuff that happens that you didn't know. But you know something is going to happen. And so, you know, a lot of times people will set aside money or whatever to just say, hey, I, I just want to have a car, you know, fun because I know something's going to happen. So I'm trying to get myself in that mindset and redraft. And DSS, hey, every week is a new week. Every slate is a new slate. You know, you don't have to, you know, do a, a lot of, you know, season long thinking and planning in that way. But in redraft, you do. And I've kind of been out of that. So maybe that's something for, for people who are in the redraft or getting back in the redraft who haven't been in it in a while, been, you know, really running in the DF streets, DFS streets. It's it's a different way of approaching it, you know, from in terms of how you think about it. And that that's been an education for me. I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm watching these guys make moves and seeing things happen on our transaction wire 
And, you know, I'm feeling like an old man because I'm like, oh, I, I was going to do that. I was thinking about doing it. It's done, man. It's over. That's been, that's been, you missed the bus on that one. So um, for, for, for the, uh, the old crowd out there still playing fantasy like me, this is, I'm speaking to you. I'm talking to you directly right now. Don't don't give up. We, we can still run with these young fellas. We just got to we got to be a little more intentional about it. That's it. That's my old man pitch right now. Carrie, did you want to say anything else on the fantasy tip? Uh, or do we kind of just want to do final thoughts and, and close out the show? No, I think um, the couple of things I didn't quite hit on, uh, you guys uh, captured it pretty well. Um, I think, you know, your point about um, assessing your own players and knowing when to sell high is huge. You know, you knew going in, um, you know, your projection for a player. So when they, you know, drastically exceed that and, you know, you maybe look ahead of the schedule and know, hey, they got some tough matchups coming down the stretch. I think they're playing a little bit over their head right now. Uh, see what's out there. You know, you may be able to, to get some kind of package, uh, you know, based off of one or two blow up spots that, you know, will be more beneficial to you down the line than that one, you know, individual player. So you definitely important to kind of, you know, assess from that standpoint, you know, see if there's some guys you can sell high on. And then again, um, you know, love Chris's point about, um, you know, watching, watching players and, and, and trying to pounce when people have, um, when players have down weeks. Because, you know, what I've noticed over the years is, you know, fantasy is an impatient game. There's a lot of impatient people in fantasy. And so, you know, use that to your advantage. You know, if you if there's a guy that you had a, you know, a great outlook on going in and, you know, you know, maybe he just he left a game early or maybe he had a tough matchup, you know, to start the year. Um but you see everything else is kind of uh, aligning for him to be productive, you know, take your shot and, you know, it, it never hurts to ask, see where that, that, um, that fantasy um, uh, team is, especially right now, if they're on three and, you know, you, they don't want to go on four. If you can give them a couple of pieces that they feel like can help them right away, you may be able to get you, you know, another top line player that, you know, once you're going down the stretch of the season, now your team is looking really formidable. So, you know, keep keep all those things in mind. That's Kerry talking about me right now. He's looking <laughs> at my roster. He's looking at my record. He says, Mike is 0-3. There are some pieces on this team, though. There's some pieces there. Obviously, they're bad enough to go 0-3, but there are some pieces on this <laughs> roster that might be able to help me. So, and I actually I, took a look. We're playing each other this week. Uh, well, 0-4. There you go. So uh, <laughs> I'm fully expecting a trade proposal uh, to come my way. Maybe after we, we hang up here, maybe. Might be that soon. Who knows? But um, that, that that's that's another really good point um, and, and something that I need to really take and, and file away is that recency bias. It's huge. I mean, it, it might be as it, it's a big thing in, in life and a lot of a lot of different aspects um but it might be as big a factor in fantasy as it is anywhere else right we were so reactive to what we just saw because it's it's the nature of football right it's the nature of the season every week 
there's something new. There's a new data point. I mean, look, look, the Ravens are figured out right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Greg Roman's <laughs> offense. See, this is what happened. Did you remember yep. back Kaepernick first couple of years, they took it by storm and then everybody figured it out. So, yeah, it's, a, it's that recency bias uh, that we all have as humans. And like I said, I think it shows up a lot in fantasy just because of the nature of the season. Every week is that new data point and you got to react. You feel like you have to react to that data point. And it's it's something when you said it, Carrie, it's almost like, duh, how could that for somebody who plays as much DFS as me? How could I not know that? Because it's huge at DFS, because, you know, from week to week. People are up and people are down on players just based on their previous week's performance. And so a lot of times you can get in on a player uh, who's going to be more low owned in, in, you know, an upcoming week because they had a bad week last week. Good player. Opportunity is still still there, still the same. Nothing's changed from an opportunity standpoint. It's had, you know, they had a down game. It happens. Um, so then you can jump. So that's something that I should definitely apply to redraft. I think that's part of the issue for me. I really don't transfer a lot of the principles, I mean, maybe you can't transfer every single thing, but there definitely are some things that I think can transfer from one, um, one style to the other style. If, if, you know, if you're thinking about it intentionally enough. So <laughs> I try to do a little better with, with, with thinking about it that way. But, um, I think we're good. I think, you know, we, look, we didn't have a show for you guys last year. We're, we're over an hour now. So that's, that's gotta be like some kind of makeup, right. For, for not doing a show last week. Um, so look, either any, any, either you guys got any, any final thoughts, anything you want to say before we wrap this one? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say, you know, Ravens fans, just, uh, take it easy. Um, you know, losses are always tough. And uh, you always want to point the finger and, you know, think the sky is falling. But it's one loss. You know, granted, it's against a good team, probably the new, you know, rival that we have. You know, this this is taking over for the Patriots rivalry that we had because it seems like everyone's hatred from the Patriots left. And now it's it's gone to the Chiefs. But um, just, you know, take it easy. It's going to take time. Uh, you know, it took the Ravens time to beat the Patriots. It took them a long time to finally beat Peyton Manning, but eventually they did. And uh, just be patient and stick with this team and don't just try not to overreact too, too much. Well, I was reminded, Chris, as you mentioned, it could be the new rivalry. I was reminded by a Chiefs fan today. In order for it to be a rivalry, both sides have to win. So... He was very quick, very quick to remind me. Can't be a rivalry. You guys haven't won anything. So uh, <laughs> that was that was that was in you know pointed out to me in no uncertain terms. He wasn't mincing words or mixing words. He had some other things to say because it wasn't just one tweet. He hit me with a couple of them. And, uh, I'll just be honest, I won't name the person, but I'll be honest. You know, some of it wasn't very nice. So I'm a little hurt over some of it. But uh, Kerry, any any final thoughts for you? <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, follow follow the pod on Twitter at Deep Cover Pod. Um, appreciate everybody's support, um, you know, throughout this whole process with everything. And then also, um, just as a reminder, we want to start doing the um, Fix My Team series. Um, you know, like I said before, with all the injuries and different things going on, I'm, I'm sure some people are in some uh, tough spots. So. You know, send us those teams and, and let us help you um, 
uh, get out of those jams. Um, you can send it to me um, or any of our Twitters. Uh, you can send it to the um, Deep Cover Pod um, Twitter. Uh, you can DM us. Um, you can keep it private if you want. If you don't want us to, you know, say your name, um, you know, we don't have to do that. Um, but yeah, just send us your team, um, maybe some of the scoring and kind of um, league rules and uh, you know your record or you know whatever, and um, uh, let us kind of assess it and uh, try to help some people out. Definitely, definitely take advantage of that. Send us your teams. Look, you heard me talk about mine. So I know I'm not alone. I know you're out there. There's some other 0-3s, maybe a lot of 0-3s. Hopefully not. Hope other people are doing well. But you're out there and you need help. And that's the biggest thing when you need help. Don't be afraid to ask. Right. Send your team. Send your team in to carry it, Chris. And I promise I won't be involved. Don't let that scare you. I'm going to send my team. This dude ain't won no games. I don't want to give no input on me. I will not be involved. I promise you. You can't can't see me right now, but you know I'm, I'm hand over the heart, all, all that good stuff. You don't have to worry. I will not be involved in that. So definitely take advantage of that. And it's just fun. You know, it's fun for us. It'll be fun for you. I mean, look, hey, what? <laughs> I'm not even going to say his name. I would definitely not say I'm quoting this dude, but people will know. What do you got to lose? <laughs> you know, what do you got to lose? Send it in. If you're, if you're, you're in a spot like me, it can only help, right? It's not going to hurt you at all. So definitely take advantage of that. So look until next time, I'm Mike for Carrie and for Chris. Uh, like, like, like Chris said, head up Ravens fan. We got a game. I think we're going to this go inferno, let's go. And now I'm rocking with a pro. I get dough to flip dough to get more for show. Get my drink on, then get on the dance floor. Look at me, I don't dance. All I do is this. It's the same two step with a little twist. Listen, Pepin, I ain't new to this, I'm true to this. Pay attention, boy, I teach you how to do this. We mix a little piss with a little Don Perignon and a little Hennessy. You know we finna carry on. Mollin' at the streets in the club trying to get right. We gon' be up in this till we break daylight. daylight.